It's good to be here. Um, in 2005, we were living in Dayton, Ohio, and I just thought God wanted me to do something different. I didn't know what that was, so I went to a retreat in southern Indiana called the Jeremiah House, and it was a fasting retreat. And so for a week, I fasted, and then at the end of the week, the couple that ran the uh, facility would have a special meal to help you break the fast. That whole time, I made sure that I didn't check my phone or check my emails or anything that went on. I just kept my phone off. As I was driving away, I turned my phone on, and the first email was from a guy from Western Kenya called um, Alex Masika. And all he said in the email was just real simple, would you come to my village and bless it? I didn't know him from anybody. But I just took it and felt that that was what God was calling me to do. I thought it was move someplace else. You guys know I moved all around. Been to a lot of places, a lot of countries. I never thought of Africa. So I went and told the church that God told me to go to Africa. And I called here to the church, and you guys helped raise money so that I could go. And we told Alex that we would put on a pastor's conference. And from Central Christian College, I got permission from the college that through our teaching throughout the week that they could earn 15 credit hours from a Bible college. You see, the average pastor in Africa only has 15 hours of any type of formal training that there is. On the other end, what was happening with Alex was five years earlier in 2000, he had a vision of a white man who would come to his village and bless it. It's 2005, and he's with one of his friends, and he's crying. He says, God has forgotten me. God has forgotten me. He told me that he would send somebody, and no one has came. And so they sold their extra pair of clothes and got on a bus and went to Eldoret, the next largest city. And they were going to send out emails. Back then, you had to go to the post office. You had that big old Dell computer, and you could buy minutes and slide the card, and, and you could send out emails. And so as they were searching on the computer, um, they sent out 100 emails. And I was the only one that answered. Now, the church where I was at thought I was crazy. This is a scam. You know, we didn't have social media. I didn't have a picture of him and so forth. But while they were there searching on the computer, I had my website link there, and they clicked on it. Back then, I had a translation button on the website and all the resources, all the outlines, all the sermons, all the small group material, everything. And you could hit that button, and it would translate it into 200 different languages. And he hit that button, and when he hit that button, it took it to the back page of the website, which is really strange. It should have took him to the first page. But it took him to the back page. And on the last page of our website, Tammy and I's picture was on there. And all of a sudden, as his friend tells it, he went berserk. He started jumping up and down and dancing and singing all over the place, saying, that's the guy in my vision. 
that I saw. So we continued to communicate. And everybody that I told the story to thought I was going crazy. You know, Bruce is nuts. You know, it's a scam. They're going to get you over there. They're going to rob you, vice versa. I had two guys go with me. And I really didn't think they were there to help out. I think they were there. One guy thought I was crazy. Another guy, he thought, you know, he could be a bodyguard or something. You know, they just kind of came along. So we were supposed to meet at the airport. We get to the airport, and everything clears out. We have our suitcases. Nobody's left. Everyone has, has been gone. There's not even a crowd outside waiting for their friends. There's not even these little cabbies outside waiting to get your suitcases. Everyone is gone. And I hear, I told you so. I told you this was a scam. They said, well, what are we going to do for a week in Kenya? We don't know anybody. I said, let's just go to the hotel. And I turned to them and said, if God gave him a vision one time, he'll give him another vision, and they'll be able to find where we're staying. Then they knew I was nuts. So we bum a ride, and we get up. There's a little kind of bed and breakfast. It's a place that used to be an Air Force um, uh, retreat center that the British had, and the Mennonites had bought it, and we were staying there. And they were outside talking, and they're giving it to me and everything else. We don't have any place to stay the next day. What's going on? And I just said again, if God gave him a vision, then he'll give him another vision, and they'll be able to find us. So they're still still outside talking. I'm in my bed. The walls are real thin. I hear everything that they're saying about me. And I just laid down, and I said a prayer. I said, God, I really believe this is of you. Help them find us. They finally went to bed. It was about 20 minutes later. There was a pounding on my door. Bruce, Bruce, I'm here to take you on safari. And I said, I didn't open my door because I didn't know who was on the other side. And I said, I'm not going on a safari. I didn't realize what safari meant to them. It just meant a journey. And I opened the door. He says, we're here, we're here. And I said, how did you find us? He said, when we didn't see you at the airport, he said, we went and prayed. And God told us to go to a road called church. And that facility is on the only Christian name in all of Nairobi. It's a road called church. And they followed that road up there, and it was the only property at the time. And they came in, and they found me. That's how this all started. And as we go through and kind of tell about going back to Kenya in in June 4th, and um, it's been 16 years from the time, the first time I went there. When I got there, I saw all kinds of Muslim mosques, and I got mad. I'm pretty competitive. You know, Mound City does that to you. You know, when you play on basketball teams and never lose and things like that, you get pretty competitive. And and I think Christians, we need to be more competitive. I think we need to compete against the world. So I started looking around and found some property that I could lease. And I said I would take it for five years. I didn't have any money. I just told them I would take it. As we came back, so it's 16 years later, we started with one church. 
16 years later, I want the church to understand that 99% of the money for this mission has only come from this church and the people who attend. It's 16 years later. It's, it's your mission. 16 years later, we have planted 25 churches. 16 years later, we have three medical clinics. 16 years later, in five prisons, we just went over the 10,000 mark, 10,000 men that we've discipled throughout a year. There has been over 3,500 pastors that came from Tanzania, Uganda, Ethiopia, Sudan, Somalia, come to our trainings at that facility. And it's all because of you. I want you to think about that. I remember when I was ordained here, and Virgil and Russ was an elder, my dad was an elder, and it was all said and done, Jen got done preaching, and you know, they laid hands on you and read scripture and everything. And Virgil, he probably doesn't remember this, but he put his hand on my shoulder. He says, it's time to get going. <laughs> and I've been going ever since. We're going back this year to plant six more churches that we've been working with. And the four of the churches are going to be in northern Tanzania, which is right on the border, Moshi. And then we're going to Turkana in order to dig a well. This is a picture of, of one of the, the Turkanans, traditional Maasai tribe, if you ever heard of them. They carry swords. Um, they speak a dialect. They can't communicate with any other people, groups, or tribes in the country because they speak their own dialect. And we started going up there a year before. A friend of mine has real-time uh, GPS and satellite imaging. And he's helped a lot of missionaries. And so what he does at night, he looks at the satellite images, and he looks for lights where lights shouldn't be. And he finds out that that's where the people groups are because they are burning fires to keep warm or they're eating. And so he identified this area and gave us the GPS coordinates. So the Turkana tribe in Kenya is one of the 13 tribes that are unreached in Kenya because they live clear up in the desert. So we have to fly about four hours to the last northern city, Lodwa, and then drive in a car through the sand and desert with no roads and just a GPS. Now, most of the time, we argue with our GPS anyway, right? She doesn't know where she's supposed to turn, and we argue with it all the time. Think about arguing with this. We're driving hour after hour with just these GPS coordinates, <laughs> and there's nothing there but sand and camels. So we finally come across to the tribe, the Turkana tribe. This is a traditional house where they still live. It's just sticks. There's nothing inside except sand. We had been going up there for a year, every month. Uh, they didn't have any clothes till we started going up there. The women or men would wear this little wrap around their waist, but the, the, there wasn't any clothing, so we started bringing these blankets and would bring food and water and so forth. 
the, the Turkana tribe, there's been people dying for so long because there's been a drought up there for about seven years. And we have taken them water in our truck that we have. Um, but when we got up there, uh, we talked to the elder of the tribe and said, can we buy some land because we want to build a church? The Turkanas don't believe anything. They have no belief system. They don't believe in any God. It's just you live your life, and when you die, you die. That's all they knew. They had never heard about Jesus, Holy Spirit, a Bible, or anything like that. It's into the second year, and they've been preaching now. It's been, first year was about once a month, second year was every week. And then we decided to have a revival. And so the whole tribe come, comes together. They do everything as a community. There's about 150 people in this tribe. Um, our church is so full now, we started a second church because some people were walking through the desert almost 10 miles to come to the church. So we bought some more sand <laughs> to build a church there. But what was interesting it was, at the end of the revival... They asked them if they wanted to become Christian. And so they had a community meeting. And then the elder came and talked to us and said, we have decided that as a community, we want to all become Christians. And the next day, we baptized the whole community. It was just amazing. It kind of reminded me of an act story, like Cornelius and his household. But as we go up there... One of the two things that we're doing is we're finishing putting in a well up there. And um, we were able to uh, find water to the thankfulness of a contractor who works for the UN, believe it or not. He was a Christian man driving through the desert, saw our building, and thought, what the heck is that? It's in the middle of nowhere. And so he was digging wells for the UN in the country of Kenya. So he stopped by and saw what we were doing. The well that we dug was in a riverbed, so there wasn't always water there. It depended on the season. Would the river be up, we'd have water. When the river went down, we wouldn't have water. So he says, I'll dig 100 test holes for you for free. He's a Christian man. And I never really liked the UN or anything else. I thought, well, how in the world they're doing something for us? So he comes back. The problem was we, did, we can only dig on the property we own. So we went back to the tribal elder and said, we got to buy more land or we can't dig these test holes because we can't get permission from the government. So they decided to give us one square mile of land, 640 acres, and they found water. And we're going back up this time to finish the well up so that they can have water there. They can go three days without drinking. But the third day, they'll kill a goat and drink the blood of the goat to help them survive. And that's just kind of how they live. These are some of the children in, uh, up in Turkana. Traditional dress, the beads around the neck. Um, it's not to stretch your necks out like you've seen some Africans. It's, it has to do with their position, if you will, in the tribe, in their family. 
that they belong to. This is inside the church. We started teaching Swahili to the kids so that they can actually talk to other people outside their tribe and in the country. And then after that, we will teach them English. So one of the things that we're doing is raising money to buy Bibles. I can buy Bibles there fairly inexpensive from the American Bible Society in Nairobi. So we can buy 50 Bibles for $100. And it's uh, parallel, so it has English on one side and Swahili on the other. And it just would be very wonderful to be able to do that. This is how crowded the church is now. That's what Sunday looks like. Everybody's just, on the other side, just packed out with adults. For some reason in Africa, all the kids sit up front. Now, that drives parents nuts because our kid would be messing around, flipping somebody's ear, picking their nose, doing something. We would freak out if we sent our kid up here and say, stay here all service. But all their kids sit up there the whole service. This is a church that we built up there. The first time we were going up there, um, we have a truck that we haul sugar cane with. We have some um, micro businesses that we started over there to help fund what's going on. And all of our supplies were stolen. And so we thought, well, instead of being so obvious with this huge two-ton truck, we'll just take vans. So we leased vans, took all the seats out of it, even the passenger seat out of it, and was hauling lumber and steel sheets, as they call them, in these vans up there so it didn't draw attention to ourselves. So then we were able to finish this facility. We wanted to build another facility about 10 miles away where the other church is that's been meeting, so they don't have to travel 10 miles uh, to go there. Here's the Bible, some of the Bibles up there. They had never seen a Bible, never seen anything written on paper. Now, that's hard to believe. They have never been out of the desert. They have never been to any city. They just are nomadic in the tribe. So this is up in the corner where Ethiopia, Sudan, and Somalia all come together. This is what they've been doing for water when we come up here. They'll go to a riverbed, and they'll just start digging and digging and digging and digging until they find some water that starts to seep up. And they'll just drink that muddy water and just get enough to keep going. But that's what they do for water. And they had these holes everywhere. This is the, the other church, the second church. Um, we've got some area where there's actually trees. You, I mean, this is kind of like a God thing. You don't see trees in the desert, but we found some, so we have some shade. And so this is uh, the other tribe that's um, in that area. This is a typical church that we have planted. Not only planted church, but we built the buildings. Not only built the buildings, but we dug several wells. Because this is what a Muslim does. A Muslim will dig a well and provide fresh water before they build the mosque. And then they tell everybody that they can come and use the water if they convert to Islam. I thought, well, that's a pretty good strategy. I'm just going to use it for Jesus. So I started digging wells. 
we start going around the community and said, the water's free and told them why it's free. And as soon as the church was up, it was full. And people really understood living water for the first time. This is what church looks like before we get a building done. Um, we make our own bricks like the people in Egypt. The ground is clayish there, and that's how we build the churches. But this is a, a church. This is another church. This is the largest church that we have built. Uh, once a month, all 25 churches come together to worship together. It's just amazing. The farthest one, if you think about it, they're riding bicycles. That's their mode of transportation. The farthest church has to ride six hours to get there on a bicycle. Women and children, they got people on the back of the bicycles. No 10 speeds over there. Some other pictures from the churches. This is another church. You see all the mud passing out Bibles there. This is the New Beginning Center, the discipleship center that we built in 2012. Because we called it New Beginnings and it was very generic and people couldn't associate us with any denomination, and I really didn't want to draw attention to me because I didn't because they would really tax us in that area if they knew we were a Christian. And so for the first time, Pastors in the area were gathered around once a week in the facility at the New Beginnings and started praying together because they didn't have to go to the Baptist church. They didn't have to go over here to the Pentecostal church. They didn't have to go over here to the Mennonite church. You know, real competitive, what you believe and stuff like that. But they would all come together at the New Beginning Center and pray together. Here we're giving out uh, food, which is rice, maize, and oil to the widows. Um, we have uh, 52 widows, and so we have a tailoring facility. We teach them to tailor. When they finish learning how to tailor, we give them fabric enough for a year so that they can have some mode of income. Because if you're a widow, you're along the side of the road, and you're breaking rocks into smaller rocks to make cement. That's what they do. This is inside the New Beginnings facility with the widows, and this is a Muslim woman. If a Muslim woman's husband died, she's disowned by the family. Family comes, takes the property, takes everything away, and she's just out of everything. And so several Muslim women were coming, and this woman has been very faithful. So I got the idea I just wanted to do something big, so I went to the market, and I bought the biggest cow I could find. Now, that looks like a big calf over here, but I bought the biggest adult calf I could find and took it to her home, and we walked to this Muslim family's home, and I said, Jesus has blessed her and gave her this cow because he's king and he's God. Now, for her to get a cow... And her family like that, it got everyone's attention. Your God can bless people. And they started, their family started coming to one of our churches. This is how you build a house over there. Well, we sticks together. 
put mud in, pack it in. The walls, actually the walls and everything will last about 25 years. But we're building little homes for the widows over there. This is just another picture of the pastors meeting together. This is a new beginning center, our discipleship center that we built in in 2012. And uh, it was quite the project. They had a, a handsaw, a hammer, and wire, and a plumb line. And I thought, how in the world are they going to build anything straight? And it was just amazing how they did this. This is one of the prisons, uh, one of the five prisons that we go to. One of our pastors that we work with, um, Moses Latome. Um, there are about 70,000 men in prison in Kenya, but over in Kenya, it's different than here. If you're accused of a crime, you go to prison and wait until your trial date. And they have a debtor debtor prison. I didn't find that out until they came and got one of our pastor's son and put him in prison until he could pay off a debt. So like I said, we've been, I know your youth group's going through Alpha, youth group. So we've been teaching Alpha over there. So we just passed, like I said, 10,000 people have gone through Alpha in the prisons. This is some land. The other thing we want to do is lease some land. And so I can lease lots of land, but if I, if I lease five acres, then that's about $1,500. I can buy all the seed and all the fertilizer and lease the land. And the widows will get all the money and the profit from it. Um, what we do over there that I learned, because I'm not a farmer, is that we plant soybeans in the same row as corn because soybeans put off nitrogen and corn needs nitrogen. And so then our yields started going up because we were able to do that. Here's a picture of our pastors. There's five missing pictures of our pastors there. Here's all of the 25 churches. Don't ask me to pronounce the names of the communities. <laughs> but where we're going, so there's Lodwa. That's the farthest north city. So when we go to the desert to the Turkana, they're called Turkana tribe because of the lake of Turkana. But there's almost no water there anymore. And they're right up in here, in that area. Now, where we are in Webuya, it's right there, right in between Katali and Kakamega. The four new ch- 